You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, everyone. Before we get started on today's episode, two things. One, at the end of last week's episode, I had said that we were going to cover paper today. Unfortunately, we had a little snafu with the paper episode, so that's going to be coming out later. Thankfully, my friends at Prang were willing to step up and help me out on short notice so we could put together another wonderful episode today about markers. And one other thing, I am wondering if all of you could help me out, as Airwave Media, my network, is conducting a listener survey. If you go to surveymonkey.com r airwave, you can fill out a survey to tell me a little bit more about yourself, what you like and dislike, so that we can plan better episodes going forward. As an added bonus, if you help us out by filling out the listener survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave, or linked in the show notes, you'll be entered to win a $500 Amazon gift card as our way of saying thank you. Welcome to Art Smart from Who Arted, your guide to quick and easy art history. We're cutting through all that art world jargon that doesn't make sense to anyone, Because art is for everyone. Welcome to Art Smart. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're going to be talking about markers. Growing up, markers were among the first media I used. It was my go-to for most drawing, as I'd always loved bold, saturated colors. Even when my teachers would tell me to draw with crayons or colored pencils, I'd throw in some marker outlines just to make the drawing pop. While markers have always been there for me in my artistic journey, they haven't actually been around all that long. The marker is a 20th century invention, starting in 1910 with the invention of the felt-tip marking pen by Lee Newman. A bit later, in 1926, Benjamin Paskatch patented the fountain brush, Now, this to me seems brilliant. I mean, it's basically a cylinder handle filled with paint and a sponge at the end. It sounds like the paint daubers I love using for quick drawings on large surfaces, making posters and things like that. Pascatch actually thought they would be great for lettering, but his fountain brush, much like Newman's marking pen, was a commercial flop. The modern marker didn't really take off until 1953, when Sidney Rosenthal came up with his magic marker. He filled a glass tube with ink and put a felt wick in there. It wasn't all that complicated, but the magic came in the fact that his marker would work on pretty much any surface. In the age before computer-generated graphics, ad agencies loved magic markers to design their mock-ups. Some found the short, wide-bodied markers to be a bit cumbersome, but designers of a certain generation would wield them like skilled calligraphers, producing elegant line designs. Smoothly flowing and shifting the weight or thickness of the lines with a seemingly effortless ease, as though the marker, line, and design were an extension of their body. Recently, I came across a Seattle-based artist who's using markers in a way that I have never seen from anyone else. Tom Deslongchamp creates portraits that, on first glance, they look like paintings. 
He actually recently just put out a book of his portraits and they are amazing. I'm gonna put a link to the show notes, not only to his website, but also where you can get his book if you're interested. The thing is, while many people say they look like paintings, they're marker drawings, marker paintings, prints. I don't know, it's a multidisciplinary approach. It's part drawing, part painting, a little bit printmaking, but mostly just inventive use of markers. He has a little video on his website showing his process. I'll link that in the show notes too. Now, the way that this all got started, he said while he was working in a job, he would take breaks and draw portraits. He always loved to carry around his sketchbooks. He focused a lot on portraits. That's what made him happy. And he would make daily sketches of his friend Mike, his coworker. Well, it started off as pen and ink, and then he shifted to pencil, and then he was looking to add color. And as he looked around, he just saw a red marker laying there. As I said before, markers tend to leave these bright, bold, saturated lines, and he didn't like the saturation there. And so he started thinking, what could he do with that marker to make it look a little different? So he starts sketching in pencil, and then he cuts out paper stencils, these irregular sorts of curvy, organic shapes, and he uses those to mask off different areas and keep the drawing neat. As someone who draws left-handed, I can tell you smudged ink from the palm of my hand dragging over a drawing used to drive me nuts. And Tom actually said the ink smudges are like his biggest fear because once that ink smudges, once it gets on the paper, it's there. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't take it off. You can maybe cover it over, but you've got to work it into that drawing. Now, as a kid, I started coloring my drawings from right to left to avoid those smudges. Tom apparently decided to go the other way. He leaned into the smudges. Instead of coloring directly on the paper, he mostly builds up his colors with layers of fingerprints. He applies the ink from the marker to his fingertips. He said never his thumb or his pinky because he needs to have some clean fingers to be able to to touch the papers and manipulate things. But he presses and wipes those ink-covered fingertips across the paper. As he does this, his fingerprint leaves a texture like hatching lines. Just as in traditional printmaking methods, these lines and the layers of ink can create variations in the hues, adding depth to the work. As an art teacher, I love that someone is being so thoughtful and innovative, creating fine art with the tools found in every elementary art room. As an SAIC alum, I hate that it would have to come from a RISD grad, but Tom seems like a cool guy even if we did go to rival schools. And we both graduated in 2007, so I suppose it's time to let that kind of thing go. Now before I wrap this one up, I do want to say I reached out to Tom and he seems like just the nicest guy. He got back to me within a matter of hours. And one of the things I asked him is what advice would he give to aspiring artists? He said, try new things with any material. (laughs) I think the success that he has found with his marker drawings is pretty strong evidence that you can do a lot by working with materials in unexpected ways. 
he said that came from one of his professors at the Rhode Island School of Design, where he had a, it sounds like in some ways, life-changing drawing course where he had to abandon all conventional ideas regarding materials and imagery. He was challenged to push every material into a new direction. As Tom says, artists can easily get distracted with the final product they're hoping for. But the process is his goal and his priority. He said that's where you discover new possibilities. And I think this last point is really key to developing the right mindset. He said, quote, failures are not failures. You're simply building a library of knowledge so you can focus it all toward a product when you want to. I love that mindset. It's what we in education would call a growth mindset of learning from those challenges and setbacks. I think Tom has rightly centered creativity and innovation at the heart of the artist process. Now, after the break, we're going to learn a little bit more about markers as I've got Rita Gibson from Prang to explain to us how they're made and some other tips and tricks for working with the material. Once again, here I've got Rita Gibson from Prang, and this time she's coming to tell me all about markers. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. So right off the bat, can you just tell us like how are markers even made? What are the what are the different parts to it? How does it all come together? Sure. So there's a couple different components of the markers. The main is the barrel. So that's the area that you really hold on to when you're coloring and drawing with a marker. Um, but we have a we have a piece of equipment that really just takes these tiny little beads of plastic resin and it feeds it into a machine that melts it and shapes it into that barrel. So the barrel is the main piece of the marker. Once we make that barrel, we close off one of the ends so that the ink system can kind of get inserted into the barrel. Um, once the ink is inside, then we add the nib, which is the tip or the part that you color and draw with on the top of the marker barrel. So the last step of this whole process is really to get that cap on the end so that the marker stays sealed and then your color is ready to go when you want to create. Okay, so I was just gonna jump in on the cap there. Yeah. You know what I've, I've noticed that like, all the different markers have different ways of going. Some of them I've noticed like the, the marker itself is colored. Sometimes it's a neutral color and they put just stripes on there. Sometimes the cap is colored. Some caps are like, vented and some caps aren't. I've always wondered, like, with those vented caps, don't you worry about it drying out? Like, what's the point of those different designs? Yeah, so we have, we do have a vented cap. So the reason we have that is so if, if by chance someone decides to swallow it, they don't have to worry because it's not, it's not a choking hazard. I mean, they do have to worry about what it says about their decision-making that they're swallowing a plastic <laughs> cap. They kind of do. Yes. They need but, a little awareness. <laughs> but I guess you're, I guess you're looking out for that. That, that is nice. I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, the white caps kind of also make it easier for teachers and parents that when the kids are finished with their project and they need to put them away, they can quickly just take the white caps that we have because they're universal and they can put them back on any barrel that they want. So it really helps speed up that cleanup process too. And you don't spend a lot of time chasing down a matching cap. It, it is nice, I gotta say, because it, it drives me nuts when I see the wrong colored caps on there. And so like having the interchangeable, it's a little bit more satisfying visually. 
Now, on another topic, I noticed, so when I was doing research for this, I looked at like the different innovations and the different iterations of markers, and I realized that there's something I thought I knew, but never really could put into words. But like early versions of, of um, a marker was like a, a fountain brush where they just filled the tube with paint. And it got me thinking like, really, what's the difference between ink and paint? Yeah, so so there are ink and paint markers both, and they can use pigments or dyes to create that color. Um, so the difference is, the difference between the ink and the paint is really that size of that pigment um, that you're using. So ink markers, um, which are our art markers, um, are typically using a smaller particle size um, colorant, uh, typically a pigment or a dye. And what that does is the smaller size helps it dissolve into that liquid component easier. Um, the praying art markers uses water as the base carrier. Um, the reason we do that is because it's easier to wash off the skin and really safe for kids. Um, if you are looking for something that is more of a paint marker, you probably notice that it's a thicker kind of application of that paint and the pigment or color size is a little bit larger. Um, so you kind of need a thicker base to hold it all together. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense because I, I guess the way I've always thought of it is like, you know, the inks kind of absorb into a material and paints kind of sit on the surface and cover a material. And so I guess it would make sense if it's like a smaller, smaller colorant or a dye inside of the inks compared to like those somewhat chunkier pigments in the, mm -hmm. the paints. I guess, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, just to shift a little bit to how we work with our markers. You know, I always look at a material and I think about like, what is it good for? Markers give us those bold colors that are nice and consistent. But then after I think about the strengths, I like to think about how can I use that material to do something it isn't obviously good at? Maybe I just like to torture myself, but it seems like a good creative challenge. As I think about markers, they generally make it difficult to like shade and create values. One way I've found is like, you know, using patterns and stuff like that, the lines and the dots and the hatching marks, um, almost like that impressionistic style of mixing colors in your eye. Do you have any sort of marker hacks or tricks that we could use to make our marker drawings better? Yeah, one of the super surprises I'd say for markers is if you have a washable art marker, um, all you really need to do if you want to create more of a painted look or a color wash look is to use a wet brush and paint on top of your art and then it, it provides kind of that um, watercolor paint effect. It's kind of a less mess way to do some quick and easy painting if you're crunched for time, but it's also just another way to use your art markers and to give a different type of creative appeal. Oh, I absolutely love that. I know I do it in my classroom all the time when I want something that looks like a painting, but I just don't have the patience to get out all the paint sets. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, now, another thing on the topic of my classroom, every day I look at the markers in my class supply boxes and I die inside just a little bit, seeing the markers with no caps, the, you know, the yellow markers with a stained tip, marker tips that are crushed flat. What tips would you give us to take better care of our markers, keep them in good shape? 
The biggest thing to think about is the quality of products that you're using. So when we create our products, we're always trying to think about how we can help our artists do more with the tools and materials that they have. You know, the biggest things teachers love about our markers is that the nibs or the tips that we use are really durable. So you can have anyone slam it on the table and then the nib is going to stay intact. It's not going to smush. And just to interject there, that that makes such a difference when you're working with 500 different students and some of them just love to watch the world burn. Um, It is so nice to have one that like they can press maybe a little harder than is ideal to make their dots and it's still not going to splatter all over the place. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another thing you can think about is just as you're using the marker, make sure you're putting the cap on the end of it when it's in use so that you don't lose it and your cleanup's a little bit quicker. Um, One of the things that we have with our marker caps, if you accidentally leave it off overnight, um, the good thing is that our markers have a 24-hour cap-off light, so you can come back to your classroom the next day and the marker will still work for you. It is nice that we can go a day to discover the problem and get it fixed before it's going to be ruined. For those who don't know, if you do have those markers that dry out and they're not working so well to to draw, or it's looking kind of faded, you know it's nearing the end of its life, you can extend it just a little bit by putting that dried out, and I should use air quotes there, but I guess that doesn't really work in an audio medium. But you can put that, quote, dried out marker into a jar with a little bit of water and it'll create like a liquid watercolor. Um, so you, it can have a second life, if you will. Yeah. Did you know some teachers call that marker juice? But it's oh. not to drink. It's just for painting. <laughs> I was I was just going to say, I don't I don't want to call it juice because I'm I spend <laughs> I spend way more time than I am comfortable with telling people not to put things that they find in the art room into their mouths. <laughs> But I guess to each his or her own, you know, yep. um, feel free to, I, I call it an ink wash. I like to, I like to formalize everything and make it sound mm-hmm. sophisticated, but um, I, I do like the sort of quasi liquid watercolors that we can create uh, just to get a little bit more out of those markers. Any other advice you want to share with young artists to get the most from their markers? Yeah, I'd say, you know, when you're when you're creating, I definitely would say um, you want to start with the lighter colors and then slowly bring in those darker colors near the end of your art. Um, Because when the yellow goes over a darker color, sometimes it soaks in some of that ink. Um, You don't want it to really smear the drawing and and have like a stained yellow marker tip. Um, So you just want to make sure you're kind of balancing from lightest to dark um, when you're when you're creating. Any other advice? So I don't know if you've seen this, but I've heard that our teachers are using washable markers to ink styrofoam stamps. Have you heard about that? Uh, Yes. I actually love to do that in my class with the younger grades, especially like when I don't want to get out the ink plates and brayers because that can get kind of messy and honestly kind of expensive using all of those jars of ink. The, The way it works is basically you use a washable marker on top of a styrofoam stamp and the ink doesn't really soak into styrofoam it just kind of sits on top so then you can draw color with the markers they know exactly what the design's going to look like mostly i mean it does get mirrored because it's a stamp but they can design it and color it with the marker so they get a full color design 
And then you just get the paper that you're going to print on a little bit wet. You want it basically like damp, but not dripping. And when you press that styrofoam stamp to a wet paper, the water, because we're talking about washable inks and washable markers, the water draws the ink off the stamp into the fibers of the paper. It is beautiful most of the time. It takes a little <laughs> bit of practice to get the right amount of water and the right mix of it, but um, kindergarten, first grade, they absolutely love it. So I've seen that. I've seen teachers use spray bottles with water, and I've also seen them use wet wipes. So which which method do you use? I don't like wasting the, the wet wipes. Like, I, I burn through wet wipes way faster than I'm comfortable with. And so I'm, I'm always using the spray bottles. And I usually ha I have rolls of paper towels, like the custodians at my school give me the half rolls of paper towels from, from like when they're changing out dispensers. And so I've got like loose rolls of paper towels around and I've just got spray bottles of water just all over the place. Makes a lot of sense. Um, well, Thank you. I feel like I might have talked your ear off a little bit more than than you had bargained for, but I appreciate that you're always willing to give me the time to talk about some of my favorite materials. This is always so exciting for me, so I um, please keep inviting me. I love um, learning from you and also sharing a little bit about what our products can do. I, I love it, and I think I'll be dragging you on soon because I want to learn more about crayons <laughs> and <laughs> other stuff good. that you make, so thank you. Sounds great. Thank you. ArtSmart is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Kyle Wood. The background music you've been enjoying was created by Less FM, Coma Media, and Music Unlimited. And a special thanks this week to the artist Tom Des Longchamp and Rita Gibson from Prang Art Materials. ArtSmart is an airwave media podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more, check out my other podcast, Who Arted, or go to the website artsmartpodcast.com for more free resources. <laughs>